Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. Good evening, Jim. Good evening, David. I'm getting very good at separating the middle finger from the beginning of the show and making sure that it doesn't appear to our audience before it happens. I was going to say, I don't know why you don't show it anyway. Uh, yeah, I, well, that's, you know, that's the thing. One of these days, it's just going to pop up and I'm going to have to run with it. I'm going to have to run with it. Oh, now. as I said earlier, so many jokes, so little time. Yep. So, um, yeah, we're, well, let, let's talk a little bit. So uh, you and I spoke earlier this week. I'm looking at getting a two notes uh, captor X, right? Reactive load box DI with the loadable um, IRs. And because uh, I was looking, I guess there were two products that we were thinking. Because uh, I'm, I, whenever people talk about two notes, they just say, yeah, we've got, I, I'm, I'm going to a two notes. I'm using a two, into notes. A two notes. Into a two notes, into a two notes. It's like, okay. And I, and I, you know, look at a two notes. A notes. torpedo, a captor, a captor yeah. X, a captor. Right. It, or what's the, the other right. DI box that that that's just for pedals, like it's passive? Um, forget what that the is. Cab M. The Cab M. Cab M. Yeah. yeah. So there's four different products. So which one is it? <laughs> and so, to be honest, I looked at. I mean, the Cab M makes a little sense to me in some ways. If you got to drag your amp with you anyway, why not use the Cab M? Cab M. I can do through right. I can just go. Whoop, whoop, yeah. Um, but what the cab M won't do that or torpedo X does is drum roll, please. I, I was waiting for you to finish that sentence. Impulse responses. Yes. And what else? Uh, I think they're both attenuators. Um, yeah, but, but the, no, the cab M is not, it's a, it is not a load at all. So it cannot attenuate the cab. Oh, M. you're talking about the cab M, not the captor. Yeah, the cab right. M, the cab M is for running a pedal board into it and using that as a as a speaker loader, basically. The the Captor X is kind of the two Norts torpedo, and the cab M. Yeah, come kind of. Yeah, the cab M does the cab M to me. Now I could be wrong. The cab M to me is kind of like what's that? Uh, uh, it's just a speaker it's loader. It's like a Palmer or, or any of those kind of products. Except it's IRs. Yeah. Um, and there's yeah. a lot of products that do it now. Um, I think Joyo makes one. I think, um, yeah. I mean, actually, I'm surprised. I'm sort of surprised that um, Boss doesn't make one yet. But that's yeah, that's the thing du jour right now is to just run all your crap into a pedal or into a, a cabinet simulation instead of actually like you know doing it the conventional way. Right, and so then um, uh, what's that? What's the Strymon one? The um... the Blue Sky, no Big Sky, the big one. Has a cab simulator on it. Oh, it does. Yes. Yeah, and then don't they have a don't they have that new pedal that's just a cab? um, uh, uh, The iridium. The iridium. Thank you. Can we? I don't know why I couldn't think of that. Let's take a bird walk about the iridium for a second, since we're talking about it. Yeah, Yeah. those IRs. It's not XLR out. 
Um, nope. And so you're still going to need a direct box, which just makes it silly in my opinion. So just, you know, FYI, yeah. if you're going to use it for I, that, you might as well, you know, just get a cab. <laughs> right. I mean, for the for the money, though, I'm looking at the, the cab, uh, the two notes um, torpedo captor. Of course, you have to have your amp. You have to have your favorite amp, whatever that is. Captor X. Captor X. I'm sorry, you are X, correct. X. The Captor X, <laughs> which is a relatively new product. Yeah, it's only been out about a year. Thinking, yeah, I kept thinking to myself, geez, it's uh, um, the Captor. Uh, we, we've been so used to seeing two notes torpedo, two notes torpedo, two notes torpedo. Really, a two notes torpedo was just a way to take your signal from your amp, pull it in, and make it uh, to attenuate it. And also, as you were saying, DI it out to, you know, something else and put a uh, cab emulation on the way out, right? Right. Where um, the reactive load box DI attenuator um, is a completely different thing. Um, so that I, I'm trying to decide if I want the eight ohm or the sixteen ohm. To be honest with you, it doesn't matter which one I use to be because um, I can. I can use an eight ohm load or a sixteen ohm load on my Marshall, so it doesn't make a difference. Yeah, I mean, what I'm, eight ohm is more common. If that makes you feel any better, the only sixteen ohm amps I know are Marshalls. So, yeah, they are. It's a weird one, but they are. Um, whereas Mesa is eight. Um, so I, I'm looking at you know what I'm hoping to be able to do. Is to take that emulated output of the fender, if I use the fender, turn the emulation off, shove that into there, and use this. Um, you're talking about the speaker out, right? Because you're only going to be able to use it with the speaker out. Well, that's, yeah, that's, see, that's just it. If I can only use it with the speaker out, because this is a speaker simulator. Yeah. Um, I got to... I got to come up with a way because I can't take the speak. There's no speaker out on that fender. Yeah, you'll have to just put jumpers on it and and uh, bypass the speaker and then run out of there into the you can do it. It, it. As long as you can get to the speaker jacks on the speaker itself, you can pull the existing ones off. You can desolder them. Yeah, you can add a quarter yep. inch plug to it. You can do whatever you want. And at that point, then you're then you're gravy. Yep. Uh, yeah. You will want to verify that your amp is actually putting out an 8-ohm or a 16-ohm load. Uh, that's what I've got to look at. What are these speakers, actually? Because I would be surprised if they're just a straight PA speaker of some sort, and they're whatever ohm load, you know. Right. Yeah, that's a weird one. That they are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the nature of that beast, unfortunately. Um, if you want, does it have a line out? Is it only an emulated line out, or is there an option for an unemulated? No, I could turn the non-emulated. Then you want to. Then you want the. Then you'd want the cab M, because uh, I think the Captor X is it. I have to look. I'm not going to pull. I was going to pull up the manual while we're talking. Um, I'm pretty sure there's probably an option to run, and go the other way with it. I just don't know, and so I'm not going to comment one way or the other. But I would be yeah. kind of surprised if there is an out or an input for. Because uh, it's because its primary purpose is to be a you know dummy load, an attenuator, exactly. Yeah, yeah. well, it's an attenuator, right? Um, yeah, which, a dummy load, whatever you want to call it. Right? Well, there's a difference because a dummy load just takes the amp down to nothing, right, and makes it feel 
like a where, is connected, whereas yeah, where a, this attenuator is variable, right? They both do attenuation. One is variable. <laughs> exactly. And, and um, what I'm hoping is to be able to, to do that. What I, I hate to have to get, like, there's, there's an output for this thing, but there's no way to turn off the emulation for the Marshall. So I can go, uh, you know, come out of that, go to XLR. There's no way to turn off the emulation. The other one has an emulation off. I cannot believe that manufacturers are putting together amps with emulated outputs and not regular lineouts. That drives yeah. me nuts. At the very but least, I, give me a switch. Because yep. like in the the Mark V twenty five is sitting back there. I've got no I've got no option to disable it. I probably right. I probably wouldn't own a Kemper right now if I could defeat the cabinet simulation that's built into the, the XLR DI out because then I could go and I could say run that out to you know the one of the two notes products and probably the cab M and just pick up the speaker sim there or even something like you know what the the Joyo option is just run the XLR out appropriate direct box into that um, mover or whatever I think it's mover radar uh, into mover. the mover select my you know cab model of choice and then run it out from there into the or pa and i will yeah. that's i mean that's a cabless setup for the most part um yep but you know what i'll tell you i went to a show last night uh and i got to see mike mike mara uh show listener uh his his new band uh the bronson trio played their first show um they were doing you know cover material kind of jammy stuff um and hearing an actual honest to god amplifier at a gig i think is a boon nowadays because i've seen so many bands perform with silent stage kind of arrangements lately and um people trying to be quiet it's like just turn yep. it up like what the hell sometimes like these club owners like i want people to be able to whisper to one another i think you need yeah, something other no. than live music in your club <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Nobody in that place was mad about them being slightly louder than average. And uh, I, I was kind of talking to him after the show, and I said, you know, I said, uh, I would have just turned it up even more. I I would have turned it up until they complained, because why not? I mean, uh, nobody's going to get mad if, I mean, they, they sort of know what they're up for when they're walking around. The, all the windows are open. You can hear the music coming out of the place. Um, and, of course, it was like an outdoor thing. It was the first Rona show I've been to. Where, you know, I first morning show I've been to at all, um, where it was all basically outdoor. I mean, we they had the, the I was indoors, but there was nobody inside and like they had the garage doors open on the front of the place, so it was just total open air flowing through. And um I hung out inside for a little bit and then uh as the night kind of went on, I, I went outside and sat sat outside for a bit. It got yeah, it got pretty busy later. And when it got busy, I was like, eh, I don't really want to stick around too much. Plus there's any asthma problems, so I took off. But um it was a it's a good experience, but but yes, real amp. I much prefer that to silent stage type situation. And if you're gonna play, I mean, you got to set the bar pretty high. I I think I think part of it is if a band's playing music in a in a place and the patrons don't like the music, they are gonna complain about volume. That's always a thing, um, and it's I just think, yeah. an excuse to get you to shut up, you know. Yeah, I think that there's no 
I've been to those kinds of gigs and there's no winning. If you understand my, you know, you got my idea. Yeah. Yeah. There's just no winning. You Mm -hmm. cannot win if all you're trying to do is to make everybody happy. You're never going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it helps to be an exceptional, you know, an exceptional group and um, for their age and for the, for the, being their first time out and stuff, they are an exceptional group. Um, I was really impressed with what I heard um, just because they, they'd never done it before. And uh, you know, I've done cover stuff um, and, and I'm, I'm about to get started doing it again. Um, we're, we're trying to book gigs for old stumpy now, apparently. Um, yep. And um, we're looking for outdoor stuff, but um we're starting to, you know, get back in the saddle and I'm kind of like, you know, seeing another musician going through kind of the same thing I am, which is like, yeah, I mean, I used to make originals and I used to do instrumental music. Now it's starting to go down the path of like, now I'm going to do vocals. Now I'm going to, you know, actually perform music that people would recognize and yep. being, having to be very particular about how you arrange things and, and still being artistic about it. I mean, um, there was plenty of room for improvisation and moving around arrangements and things there, but, uh, putting those kinds of shows together is pretty wild anyway uh props to him for that and also you know for making me have this realization about whether i really want to do silent stage which is pretty obvious i don't at this point but it's a necessary evil well my um uh my reason for buying the two notes is more for home use um i want it so that um i can take the output of my amp put it to my uh, DAW, and you know. Well, you could use a, and I hate a cab the emulation out. You can use a cab loader, provided you have a line out from your amplifier. You could use the cab loader inside um, your DAW, and you could you can get a plug in for that. There's free ones out there, um, and just get your IRs and load them up in there. Uh, I'm trying to think of the one that I've used before, but I, there's a couple of them. If you if you need one, I can I can look into it and find you one. Um, they're pretty common. In fact, your doll probably has one built in. A lot of people use their uh, their uh, reverb, uh, the impulse response based reverb, and then they just throw the cab model in there. <laughs> it's a little yeah, side yeah. trick. Uh, yep. Um, so I could throw something into Ableton. That's not a problem. Um, what I mean is I need to be able to take, I want to take the speaker out of that. So mm-hmm. uh, in other words, take one of the speaker outs and put it in here, but I need eight ohms or 16 ohms. Well, no, you, you would need a, you would need a load box at that point. Cause otherwise you're going to fry yeah. your interface. There's, there's no interface exactly. on earth that allows you to do that. No. Um, and that's why I need something like a two notes. So mm-hmm. I could use the two notes torpedo yeah. um, and not the X. Um, the X just allows me, but the cab M would be nice for uh, gigs or, or those, those silent stage nights, you know, when you just, you know, those gigs you don't want to do. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, at that point, um, you know, the, the, so the cab M, uh, is, uh, has got built in cabinet emulation. So it does, um, it does amplifiers and it does, uh, um, it's got, or I'm sorry, not, not, amp- um, yeah. Eight power amps, uh, eight microphones, eight rooms, 32 cabinets. Eight, um, so 
you know, some of them are based, but uh, it, I don't know. As many times as I've tried to go ampless, I'm never, never satisfied, ever. As you know, I'm never satisfied. I yeah, I mean, I'm I'm kind of in the same boat. I I got to play, so I don't think I talked about this. I got to play the FM3 a couple weeks mm-hmm. ago. Um, and I got to play it again today. Today I got to play it with an FRFR. The first time I got to play it was with the Katana, um, the Katana Two, you know, with the FRFR setting. Let me, for, let me first let me make a comment about that because now that I've seen the result, you know, before and after, uh, yeah, Katana Two, uh, FRFR setting. What the f- like that should even be a feature. Um, the speaker in there is not good enough to really do a model or justice in the same way that a real amp would be done justice. I think honestly, I think the cabinet and speaker for the Katana are the weak link. I, I think that if you put the right speaker and a better cabinet and, and you take your head and you rehouse it, I think it's going to sound a hell of a lot better. Um, and I had good results with my head, you know, running into other cabinets. So I, yeah. I really do think that that speaker can use an upgrade, but that said, um, the FM3 sounded really, really good through both options uh, as a modeler, right? Um, but it was choked through that Katana speaker. When I got it through my FR, FR the um, the head rush, I was like, okay. Uh, Jeff, of course, had dialed in some patches with the head rush already. So um, right. it just made sense, right? And yeah. we were going back and forth between the actual amps they had at good time and the amps in the FM3, and they're really close. They're not really, I mean, same thing you're you're experiencing. Going from the modeler with an FRFR is not the same as sitting in front of the amp with it cranked up and and hitting hitting you in the chest and all that. That said, I think it's a tool for a job. I think it's a good tool for a job, just like the Kemper is a good tool for a job. And realistically, as we've said on the show before, I think everybody should have a silent stage solution available to them, um, even just for home right. practice. I would highly recommend if you do not have some sort of modeling device, get something cheap and try it out for a while. Maybe take it to gigs, maybe take it to jam nights, plug directly into the PA and just fart around with it and get used to the process because it's there is a learning curve. Um, you will figure it out if you do it enough, uh, but it's yep. never going to be the same as an actual cabinet with a head on top <laughs> yeah i mean i've got the little i've i've got my like your head rush thing right here um i've got the the alto thing there um literally just like the head rush yeah it's literally the head rush two thousand watts lots of headroom or head yeah head well you got the 12 right i got the eight yeah yeah i got the 12 um and okay it this is what playing through uh, Ampless thing feels like to me. And I, I I don't know if I've said this before, but it feels like I'm playing through something that has. There, there's very little reaction. For me, do you know what I mean? Yeah, and y- so- you're talking about the feeling the amp moving air. And I don't think it's really moving air, but I, I just think it's like the the breadth of the signal path and the bloom and um, right. the dynamics of it. You know what, though? 
you, what you're experiencing is not unlike going into a control room and playing guitar to the control room what's coming out through the speakers through a microphone and a cable. Right. Like when you would go in and you'd have the headphones on and you got your little um, box in front of you where you're controlling your monitor signal and everything else where the the speaker is in some other room or, you mm-hmm. know, whatever. It's also not unlike, like there's times when, and, and I'm sure that people who have played on stage have been there like myself where they're like, okay, your amp is over there. And over there is 20 feet away. Well, 20 feet away or under the stage or in a closet, you know? Yeah. I mean, literally I have been 18 to 20 feet where we're the end of a 20 foot cable from my pedal board to the front end of my amp. It's like stretch tight. Yeah. And, and it's like, uh, how much tighter can I get that? And yes, I'm probably running around one little thing on the way, but I, it's like, then it's a straight shot. Um, I did a gig with a 35 foot cable once. I I had a little bit of slack, but it wasn't a lot. Yeah. It, it, it was interesting. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's just the, the fact that um, we, you know, we take for granted that we have this. The, the, the fact is that like, you know, anybody else, I try to bring links of cable matching, you know, how much, how far away I'm going to be from my amp on stage. Usually yeah. it's about, a 10 foot cable or a 15 foot cable. That's about as far away as I'm going to be where I have to, you know, route it around somebody's microphone or maybe, maybe behind the drummer's seat or something like that, you know, whatever. But when you're so far away from it, it just, it's a similar feeling. It's like, uh, it's way over there. I'm getting most of my amp through my monitor because it's mic'd up with an SM57. Um, I, I just, I don't know. Um, I, I so here's the fun thing if you've ever done this um and I'm sure there's probably some professional guys or semi-professional guys in the group that that can ascribe to this or gals for that matter um when you mic up an amplifier and run it through your stage monitor that's basically the same thing as running a modeler I mean when you yeah. w- when you go through that process it's fl- it's a flatter sound and it's just because you don't have all the the sound bouncing around the room getting picked up by the microphone. And that's really what it is, right? So right. people have this tendency to think that like, oh, it's because there's a microphone and it's filtering frequencies. No, you're not picking up any of the reflections that your ears pick up. Right. And and I, I want to make that point because there's a there you'll go to you'll see these videos, right? YouTube, where the guitarist on stage is totally into his sound. I mean he's you know, he or she is standing there, head down, totally ripping it. And and have you ever stood in the audience and gone, wow, what a piece of sound? I mean, it's just the crappiest tone you've heard. And, and sometimes almost out of tune. Like, it's just like, how do they not hear how bad that sounds? And, I, and I'm akin, I think it's akin to um, uh, the, the, same thing the the effect of the guitar and the amp and standing right next to it and then being 20 feet out into the audience and you're like that's not that good because now the amp is turned a certain way you know it's tilted a certain way we forget that that stuff is directional so if it's not mic'd up you're losing it to the room right a lot of those highs are just going just in a straight line 
right? Um, and I, maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong in that, uh, but um, when you look at how the physics of the sound works and everything else, if you're you're up there with a two by twelve, um, or even a one by twelve, then you're pretty. There's there's a very small cone of of effect that you're going to get as it goes out um, because as it does this, it loses stuff on the side. Loads. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but, but I think part of what I'm describing is like actually literally the reflections of the room. Um, oh yeah. And, yeah. and I've been in situations where the room is so damn dead that the amp sounds sterile and I'm not talking about yeah. with a modeler and it just has to do with the amount of people that are there. Um, yep. And it has to do with what the room is made out of. Like that's a big component yeah. of it and how it, you know, how it's physically shaped. Um, but, but yeah, no, I mean, what you're saying absolutely is, is true to an extent that, that, you know, um, the directionality of the speakers do play, play a part in that. I think that's a minor part compared to um, the, like filling out of a room, for example. So if you're using yeah. an open back cab and you mic up an open get back cab, you are not getting an accurate depiction of what that cabinet sounds like in the room. It's a little bit more accurate with a closed back cab. But because the open back cab fills in frequencies that hit you in the side and stuff like that, because it, it's, you know, it's not directional. It just blows right. out of the amp in all directions, um, save for the sides. Fender. There's some some What's dead size. Right. That's yeah. that's why I've always said, like, miking up those amps is tricky as hell, because if you're going to go go into a studio and, and I, I've had to do this before um, and mic up an open back cab, it's like, well, do you put a mic in the back and reverse phase? Or do you put mics on the side? I've actually had really good luck with using room mics on Fender right. style open back combos in the right yep. room, and then and then adjusting your your phase to that. Well, if you're using um, a, just using a room mic, not even doing a, a close capture, putting a mic like oh, seven okay. seven eight feet away at, at head height where you're standing, okay. where you hear it the best in the room, you know, and then just leave it and and maybe put two um, facing away from each other. You know, and then you of course you got a flip phase, but um, it, it depends. You, you may not even want to flip phase. You may just want to examine your output, you know, the stereo waveforms, and drag them to where they're in phase. Um, but yeah, that's kind of like a, a vocalist. You ever like you listen to your voice back? Like every week, I have to hear my voice back on this thing, right? Mm -hmm. And and I think to myself, do I sound like that? Um, when I'm wearing these, I kind of do. I sound like this. Right. But when I take these off, I have mm -hmm. a completely different sound. They they tell singers, if you want to know what you sound like to other people, shove your fingers in your ears or, yeah, do this. So it's like um, it's a weird thing to tell a singer to turn off what you're just talking about. All that stuff that a Fender amp does for you, it blooms that sound on all these directions, it's which hard, is awesome. It's hard to capture. It, yeah, it's awesome for the room. Not so awesome for microphones that are very, you know. Well, I think that I think the Boss Tech, right, for the Waza headphones, I don't think yep. the right application for it is headphones. I think that stuff is going to be really exceptional for in-ear monitoring, but I also think it's going to be really exceptional for modeling because if you take the application of that technology and flipping phase and, and doing the binaural, like, where are you at in the room kind of thing, think about how that applies yeah. to microphone modeling. 
and think about how yeah. it doesn't apply to microflow modeling and how you can eliminate microflow modeling. So that's what that's what I want, right? I want and and line six and Kemper have both got this right now. They figured it out, which is that most people don't want to emulate the sound of a mic speaker. What they want to do is emulate the sound of the speaker and just the speaker. Um, so things like the the Kemper cone, the, the speaker and, the, of course, the Kemper cabinet, right, and as well as the uh, Line 6 power cab are emulating the speaker itself, the natural frequency curve and saturation uh, curve and things that happen inside the speaker and its sensitivity ratings and all that. And I think we're seeing this in its infancy, but this is where we're headed. You're going to get a modeler from somebody like Boss or somebody like that in the next couple of years that has 32 cabinets or 32 32 speaker models inside a 2x12 cabinet or a 1x12 cabinet connected with a quality amplifier uh, emulation. And I think that's going to break the mold because I think that's really where we should be heading is this whole idea that we've got to use IR technology to to emulate the whole mic'd up thing. Like that's only useful for a certain subset of people. Most people who are doing live gigs, they they sort of get the microphone aspect of it. But when they're monitoring a stage, that's not what they want. Um, they want to be able to hear the actual amplifier and they want it to punch like the actual amplifier, which I think is the one thing that the Line 6 power cab still fails at is that even though it does, um, you can you know flip to a greenback, for example, it, it, it gives you the frequency characteristics, but it doesn't yep. change um some of the handling and i think it doesn't give you the same impression you would get if you actually put a green back in the cab so the only way to get right. that right now even because i haven't i can't say the cabinet does it i know a lot of people like the cabinet's amazing the kemper cone um i don't have one in anything yet i i'd love to buy one just to put in a cabinet and check it out um i've got two beautiful cabinets back here i could use for that test um and just to report back that, hey, you know, this thing actually works pretty well. Um, right. That said, the Kemper, I have talked at length on this show about how good the Kemper is. And yep. again, I, you guys know I've had a Helix. I, I kind of fell out of love with that um, pretty quickly, I might add. And uh, the Kemper is, has stayed in my, in my mind a, a lot more. And I, I've, keeping it i'm not i'm not getting rid of it it's it's an excellent tool for the job Uh, i think it's one of the top tools for its job right now that said i much prefer the sound of a real amplifier to my kemper i can tell the difference and i think some of it's just that i don't play my kemper at loud volumes but even when i crank it up it's not there's some things you you miss there the dynamics are there the punch is there but You can tell that there's like if there's like some ones and zeros dividing characteristics of the amplifier, whereas in a, in a tube amp, it's infinitely variable, right? Um, yeah. It's really damn good. You have to really push it and play around with it to get it to screw up. But you can you can kind of infer, yeah, it's a close approximation to the real deal, and it's not perfect. And uh, I'm okay with this. Um, I can say that it's pretty damn near indistinguishable from the real deal but um there'll be people that would dispute that because everybody wants to argue about how how much is too different right um and so that's i guess where my my comment comes for the people the the anti-modeling pundits which is that come on guys let's let's be real here 
do you really need it to be 100% accurate? And on the other side of the coin, do you even need it to model a real sound? Like that's what that's still we've talked about this on the show before. This whole cab emulation thing and and amp modeling and all of it, it boggles my mind that someone has not stopped and thought to themselves, you know what, let's do some stuff we haven't done with a real amplifier because we could do it digitally and it becomes cost effective, affordable, and usable. Um there's an yeah. amp, there's an amp that comes to mind. I'll share this story, then you can take over, Jim. Keep your thought. Uh, Dirty Boy. So, um, who's the, uh, Blue Saracino, his dad built an amplifier that had like 14 transformers or something in it. I don't know how that works. I don't know why you would want big iron and like 14 of them. Amp apparently weighed like 200 pounds and Blue Saracino used it to do his first couple records or whatever. And it like, it's this amazing thing. And a lot of people have been after it over the years and tried to get Blue Saracino's dad to make them amps and whatever. Um, but that's the kind of thing you could do digitally. You could emulate that and get really freaking close and make it a marketable, affordable product. Yeah, what you were just talking about, it always seems like someone, some company, some group of engineers or individuals will come up with a way to do something. Let, let, let's talk about the tube amp, right? Here it is, There and here's how you do it. And then, of course, there's your, there's your people who are like, that's it, it's perfect the way it is, don't change it. Don't change a thing, right? And so you've got your Joe Bonamassas, your David Gilmores, they don't want to change anything about it. Then- They're called purists. Right, you got your purists. And then you've got people who are willing to go out on a limb, right? And that's where Kemper comes in. That's where Axfex comes in. That's where I would argue that there are modern tube amps that that's where that comes in. I yeah. would not expect David Gilmore to get a 5150. No, no. And I would not expect David Gilmore to enjoy the tone of a 5150. But that's all that said, what I'm trying to say is that that what usually happens is, okay, Fender came out with these tube amps, right? And they were blowing up. Everybody loved them. So Jim Marshall, who was a drummer, right, says, hey, I got to build amps too to make some money to, to help these guitarists out. Um, I'm oversimplifying the story, folks. Right, right, right. There's a lot more to it than that, but yeah. Right. And so he comes up with a Fender Bassman. And calls it the JTM, which is I think that's him and Turner, a guy named Turner, James Taylor, James Tyler Marshall, or something. I think, right? Yeah, James Tyler. Is it Tyler? Yeah, something. I like think that. so. I think so. so. Yeah. Um, so uh, JTM is just his name, right? So he comes out with these amps, and it's like, oh yeah, we got these things. And of course, they've gone through several iterations of namings because, oh look, it's a Plexi because they use Plexiglass. They etch the words in on the back and oh that's what they they didn't do anything they didn't call that it was just a jtm that's all it was (laughs) jtm and a power rating and and back then it was like hey what kind of tubes can we get oh k88s okay we use k88 yeah k88s K88s, right yep and so anyway and then uh high goes hey 
we want in on this. Of course, Vox is over here going, we're we've been doing this. this. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, we're we're just making it louder. We're gonna we're gonna make it one louder, right? We, we got to do that. So, um, uh, I guess the story went that uh, um, the Who wanted eight by ten cabinets, and Marshall goes, "No, you want two four by tens, bigger they, or four by twelves. Four they by twelve. Were, they were eight and, by twelves. Yeah, eight by twelves. That's what I meant. And, and he goes." And he said, no, no, you want four by 12s. You want two four by 12s. You'll stack them. And he goes, no, no, no. Make eight. And then they got them. And then he went, okay, now cut them in half. Yeah. <laughs> These are too freaking big. Yeah, my, my roadies can't handle. And then, um, uh, you know, the blues breaker was because it needed to fit. In the Well, someone said it needed to fit into the, the boot of a car. So right. they cut that to the two by 12. And. So there's all these iterations, right? The fact is that if you look at it, basically, Marshall was a fender in Europe, and well, there's and, a lineage. Uh, there's a lineage to everything. I get what you're yeah. saying. Yeah, but, and but there was no engineering, real engineering changes. It was just make it louder. Okay, I'm going to throw more speakers at it, or. Um, you know what I mean? It, it, yeah, it but somewhere, but somewhere along the line, something happened. Okay, so while everybody yeah. else, every other instrument was enjoying the fruits of new technology, guitar players became more and more piss and vinegar about not supporting any sort of new technology. I mean, going I, back to to even um, Les Paul, right in the seventies, and his uh, his um, going to low impedance, right. Everybody was like, why would you want to go low impedance? That's an right. awful idea. And actually, like, if you thought about it, or if you've ever done any research or read about it, like, it totally makes sense to go low impedance. But we didn't do it. Why? Because there were enough jerks out there who were not going to adopt anything new and not make anything new a standard that we were like, no. We're not going to do that. Now, I get backwards compatibility. Obviously, work in the software world, right? Um, I get backwards compatibility. I get the fact that, like, some people were probably like, look, I don't want to have to have a converter to use my old equipment. Um, but this is a thing that happened to every other electronic instrument in the last 50 years. We went from organs to synthesizers to MIDI synthesizers to and and don't even don't, let's not even talk about the different kinds of MIDI synthesizers, um and and synthesizers in general, right? Like the ones before MIDI, um that that existed. Then we suddenly get to this point where we have these modern like soft synths, right? Which at first, like there were companies like Arturia who were who were like, I'm just going to emulate all these vintage soft synths, and or these vintage real synths, right? Like the Yamaha CS80 and stuff like that. And then they went and they did that. And now they're making stuff that's like way beyond the realm of like what those synthesizers can do. And they're doing it digitally. Of course, you got your purists, yeah. the guys that still want to buy a polymog, But that's a smaller yep. market than the typical studio professional who's still buying soft synths, right? I got Cubase right. and it came with Retrolog, which is a great soft synth. And it has a lot of capability to do pretty much what all of those other moder or those other um, esoteric analog synthesizers will do. 
but the reason why I say this is like, well, while everybody else is going like, hey, we can now connect a, a USB cable and play our thing via this, we're still sitting here using quarter inch jacks. Like, what in the hell is wrong with us? Um, I just don't get it. We have not adapted to the times at all. We're using the same technology that they were using to do this stuff in the 20s. In the 20s. Like, it's been over 100 years. <laughs> when it, when electricity was invented and you had two wires, hot and return, that's, that's what we're still using. We, hey, we added a ground. I mean, at least we put a ground on the amplifier. I That was a smart decision. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that only took them 75 years to figure out. Um, and a few people getting shocked. Yeah, a few people dying <laughs> on stage because of it. Uh this is this is what boggles my mind. So when I go to the gear page, let me give you let me give you an impression of what it's like for me to go to the gear page and read people talking about like you know some tube that doesn't get made anymore. I I just look at that and I'm like, oh, I'm just like seriously, we're still using this stuff. Um, because now I'm not. I look, I'm not going to be the guy that argues that we should we should not have those things around. But I'm I'm also kind of sitting there going like, this is totally impractical. Uh, I mean, when people, when, 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 when tubes were going to go out of production and everybody lost their minds, there were dudes buying every EL 34 in stores and putting them in their house. There was a guy I met when I was in college who had a closet filled with EL 34s. I'm not yeah. kidding. A closet floor to ceiling with little boxes of EL 34s in, in, you know, the cardboard cartons. And he's, I was like when he told me this and he showed me a picture and I was like, what are you going to do with that? He's like, eh, he's like, I don't know. He's like, I don't know. He's like, I'm going to use some of them, but he's like, I'll probably sell some of them eventually. He's like, I want to make sure I have enough for the rest of, I want to make sure I have enough for the rest of my life. There, there were guys I, I remember, uh, who were doing that even in the, even in the seventies. Sure. They were just buying, um, I, I'd know friends like they'd have a little I have a closet right here. It's just a little closet. It's like a um, coat closet type thing. And they would have a coat closet full of tubes, power tubes, preamp tubes, all these tubes and a little tube tester. I remember the guy, um, one guy in particular, he had a little tube tester right on the wall. And he'd say, yep. He goes, I, I said, why do you have a tube tester? He goes, he goes, someone has been sitting here for 20 years. You can't even buy a tube tester now. Like I no. went to go look for one a couple of years ago, and the ones I was seeing are like from the fifties on eBay, and I'm going, I'm not buying something from the fifties. You guys are crazy. I just saw, I just saw a thing with uh, <clears throat> um, Joe Bonamassa uh, with with uh, he was being interviewed by Mark Agnesi from Gibson, right? And it, it was his walk through Nash uh, Nerdville East, he calls it, which is his Nashville um, condo. And beautiful condo, you know, and of course he's he's got it decked out already with all these neon signs and everything else, making it look like Nerdville. And uh he's got a tube tester in there. <laughs> and it's got all these things. He goes, Well, it's it, it, and Mark looks at it, he goes, Did you use it? He goes, Oh no, this is mostly for television tubes. <laughs> I don't know. Right. But it's so funny because um uh that that kind of thing. I remember so I'm old enough to remember having to buy TV tubes. Okay. So TV goes out. We would go to our radio shack or whatever and get a television tube. And they had a tube tester there and you'd make sure it was good. 
before you took it home and put it in the television. Um, so you could take your TV tubes and you'd take them in. And just like a fuse tester um, back in the day, you'd take them in, you'd plop them in the thing and find out which tube was bad. And then they said, oh, yeah, you need a, um, you know, whatever power tube. And it was – and it, with a television, folks, it's a 10,000-volt <laughs> yeah, yeah. system there. Yeah, several thousand volt uh, system. I mean, um, we had a, a small in in the weapon system that I used to work on. We had a small um, display. They called it a B scan, a B scope. Um, and B scopes, you had a you had a circulating scope, you know, and then you had a B scope. The B scope was um, it, it went in one direction, right. right? So it was usually just azimuth or elevation, right? You had both, right? And so, um, in the B scope, the uh, you know the, the scan went this way. Our our power for that was ten thousand volts at the at the scope. That's how much power we had at the tube. Right, right. Uh, it, and so, when you think about you know a ca- bringing in a cathode ray tube, right, mm-hmm. <laughs> for a television, and you're putting twenty something thousand volts to that thing at the you know at one of the plates. Um, it just, uh, just blows your mind. But, but my point is what I was getting at is that, that there seems to be very, somebody will get something it's popular. Let's do that. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely, I, I definitely agree with you. I definitely see trends of like, Hey, John Mayer did this. So let's all do it. You know, kind of thing. Right. Um, and that still goes on today. But but here here's here's you know the the um straw the, I this is not a straw man argument in my opinion this is this is the way people should be thinking about this so you're you're a film fan I know you are you watch Game of Thrones and you've got you know we're always talking about movies and stuff on the side um, and TV yep. uh, let me ask you a question so you used to have these tube televisions right and I can remember when I was a kid believe it or not um, but I'm willing to bet you're your television right now does not even have a picture tube. <laughs> okay. So, and, and we sort of accept that television or modern equipment, right? Something we're very passionate about. I mean, I am too as well is better than older equipment that is based on esoteric technology. And right. it, that's what kills me about this industry is we're the complete opposite of that. We don't want to grow at all. We want to emulate something that's already happened and probably has been done and over with for 50 years. Um, and and, my, and like for, for my example, and, and I'm definitely guilty of this. I, I chased the Van Halen thing for a while when I was younger, um, for example. And this is just, just to have it around, right? Not really to like be Van Halen or anything like that. Um, and just thinking back about that, like that would have been in the early 2000s. I mean, that was literally 30 years before. And and I never stopped and thought about, well, like, you know, this is really not like what's going on around me right now. And and I, I'm okay with that. Like there's there's certainly a valid for it. And I love going to see people that are like gonna do a tribute show and use the original gear and do all that stuff. Like that's a, I, it's a total geek moment for me. I wanna go see that. But um I also kind of sit there and I go, you can do all of that stuff with modern equivalents and they could sound just as good. Um, now, maybe it's not 
100% of the way there. But for the audience sake, like you really don't have to have, you know, the vintage super beetle to do a Beatles tribute. Um, you could have a fake super beetle on stage and play through a pod. And a lot of people would not know the difference. Now, maybe your musician friends in the audience would, and maybe you would be pissed off because it's like, well, it doesn't feel right to me. But at the same time, it's like nobody's buying Super Beatles because of the way they felt. <laughs> you know, it's like, come on. Um, I, they bought them for the way they, you know, for, for the image of what they sounded like and whatever. But I, I, I know a guy that actually had one. And I was like, he told me, he's like, yeah, it plays like wet dog shit. You know, it's like, it's not a good amp, but but it sounds cool. Um, well, yeah, if you ask a person like uh, uh, Pete Townsend what he got out of his marshals um, and high watts, he's going to tell you a loss of most of his hearing. Yeah, and that's that's what he got. Well, and it's so funny because some of those guys that made that stuff <laughs> extremely popular, um, Jimmy Page is a classic example, right? Known for playing mostly marshals, having the occasional orange. Uh, during the Yardboards era, he was a Vox AC30 guy. And... Yep. As as like he progressed, he's using like a Fender Pro Reverb or something now, and and sometimes a Vox AC30 alongside it, and then a Fender Bassman. Um, <coughs> sorry. Um, and the reason why this is funny to me is because this is the guy that popularized popularized the half stack and full stack thing, uh, like very much so throughout the seventies. And here's a guy that's like, nah, I ain't doing that anymore. Like, I didn't want to do that back then. We did it because it was cheap. Um, yeah. and, and, and in fact, that's basically how they arrived at using Marshalls. Um, the Beatles wouldn't have been using Vox. Vox. Yeah, Vox. If it wasn't for the facts that they, in fact that their guy, one of their, their um, uh, management team, got them a contract with Vox to build them the amplifiers. And they got them for free. Hello. <laughs> so um, that that was a tough nut to crack. And when Jim Marshall saw uh, Hendrix, he went, oh, I need I need a guy like that. So, hey, Hendrix, here, take these, try these. And uh, and of course, Clapton and, and Townsend wanted in on the action. None of well. those guys were getting free product, though. They all paid. No. Yeah. But Hendrix didn't. Hendrix got a lot of free stuff. That's uh, not what I've been hearing because they, they they said that Jim gave him discounted rates, but Jim never gave away product. And so he probably paid cost. I mean, that's probably yeah, basically sure. what it was. But um, I, I Marshall had, did not do endorsements until like endorsement endorsements where, hey, you sell this product, we'll give you a free one. Um, until the '90s, like late '90s, because even Slash, when they did his, um, they did his Silver Jubilee signature thing that they was really just a Silver Jubilee with a boost on it. Um, in the '90s, this is way before they did the other one, right? Uh, the Appetite reissue or whatever. Yeah. When they did that amp, he paid for his his small run. Yeah, he paid for him. Um, and I think I don't know if there was ever even hit the general public. But that was the whole thing is like, well, we'll build them for you, but we're going to if we build them for you, then we're going to we're going to sell them to the general public. And then he ended up buying a bunch of them. He bought like 100 of them or something. Um, and they got you know sent to the various cartage places all over the world so that well, they could be able to tour. But yeah, I don't know. I'm just going by something I recently heard. But um, uh, as far as Hendrix went um, and that, again, it it drummed up so much business that. You know, it, it couldn't be 
it could not be purchased that that uh there was no way that that Marshall could uh put a number on how much Hendrix's use of his amps was worth yeah yeah um, well especially not now because even if like it wasn't a huge hit because i don't think i don't think musicians had the same mindset back then i mean some of them did because jimmy page talks about seeing clapton playing the sg through the marshall and going that's kind of the thing um i don't think that was so much the thing back then where people were like looking at what other players used and then tailoring their gear around that because there are definitely some popular players who were using some really weird stuff that just did not catch on. And I think and that we don't hear of to this day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the classic example I think of is the guys in the doors were using like some crazy uh, solid state amplification system that was like full PA down to like amplifiers and stuff. And um, you just, I mean, you see them all the time used if you look, but it's like nobody was buying this stuff back there. It's not popular now for sure. And both yeah. guitar players were buying like deluxe reverbs and stuff. They weren't buying um, like, you know, weird solid state off brand kind of equipment. Um, but anyway, so you had another topic we want to talk about. We, I think we've done, I think we've talked enough about this kind of stuff. Um, what well, kind of leads to that? So the, the, the whole COVID uh, uh, thing. So Fender has recently um, announced that, They've had a record year. Um, I don't know if it's it's if not just them, more, I, but they announced it. But but other companies have now come yeah. forward and said the same thing. Yeah. So Fender was the first one who said, "Hey, guess what? 2020 has been the best year for sales for us since whatever. They've sold more guitars this year." Sure, sounds like their fiscal year is coming up, doesn't it? To you? Yeah. 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 It sounds like they're looking for some investment money, some 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 cash. Yeah. And it kind of makes sense. So if we look outside of the guitar world for just a second, whether it's Nintendo Wii or we look at, uh, you know, your, your local brand of uh, um, paper products, it's hard to get anything, right? It's hard to get anything in. It's hard to. We're still having a little bit of a, a lag in the, in the um, you know, <laughs> she's so cute. Um, uh, it's, a, it's a he. This is, this he, is Merle. He's so cute. Yeah, I got two boy and girl, so I, I'll yeah. I'll I'll pass. The other one, the other one's got the uh, cone on, right? No, still cone. She, she, she's oh, not. She's not coned right took now. Took it off. Oh, good. Took the cone off. Um. So, the um. Uh, what was I saying? Oh, <clears throat> so they're they're saying that they've got a record year of sales, and I kind of, if you look at the the used market, we talked about this earlier. That there's also, I think, a record sale of used in the used market. I think what it is 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 this. Like, I just bought a car, right? Car sales for the longest time were down. Car dealers were begging people to come to their lots. Um, you know, car rentals were down. Uh, the a lot of things were not selling. So, if you've got money coming in if you are one of the lucky people who was not affected monetarily by COVID-19. Um, and then all of a sudden you got a stimulus check too. And all this other stuff that's coming in. Where's that money going to go, right? Most people, um, some people are going to put money away, <clears throat> but a lot of people are going to spend and they're going to spend 
a lot. Can I can I share um, with, can I share my, my situation? Yeah. So I've done yeah. very well in COVID-19. I'm not going to give number specifics. That's my own business. But I will talk about how I was able to do well during COVID-19. So neither my wife nor I got out of work, which is nice um, because she works for a major airline, which cut a ton of people. Um, neither of us got out of work. Uh, my situation probably is looking good into next year. Um, and we didn't we haven't commuted since February, which if you don't think about this. It's a I've yep. actually been thinking I could one. cut off insurance on one of my cars. Like, I don't need insurance. I ain't driving it. Um, I'm, I haven't done that yet, but that, that's a possibility, right? Um, and I'm sure there are people, because like my boss, for example, was talking about it. I'm sure there are people that have done that. On top of that, you got no gasoline. For me, I put in a tank of gas probably every six weeks because I don't go anywhere. Um, so... I actually, for the first time, I put one in in a month this this month, um, and in in all uh, reality, I'm not spending money to go out to eat. I'm you know just living frugal, and and I'll be honest with you, I have saved thousands of dollars during COVID nineteen, and because of that, I think people are like more into their vices right now because they're sitting home. You know, well, most remote workers do not work you know, eight hour days, they're working six or four hour days. They got to find time to fill up the rest of it. So buy a guitar, I, you know? And so, yeah. And I, and I want to get to a, a couple other things. Even if you do work an eight hour day and being a government contractor, I have to put in eight hours a day. Um, I have no commute. Yeah. So I I'm saving an hour to an hour and a half a day. So right? you gotta, you got time to fill. Um, and By the way, the I wasn't saying people didn't work an eight-hour day, but I'm just saying they're not like grunt work, I know you know, where you they're mean. yeah, right, like right. it's down. There's downtime the in the middle, and you know, right. We all have downtime. Let's face it. Come on, anybody that tells you don't have downtime, they're lying. Works works probably a business office type thing, or or like my son does now. He works in the help desk, um, where it's pretty much and it's brutal. <laughs> that those jobs are brutal. brutal. I'm so glad I'm not doing Two, that anymore. Minutes. Two 10 or 15 minute breaks and a half hour lunch. Um, but uh, he comes home exhausted. I mean, he's 20 years old. And he comes home looking looking terrible. So but the, the, the point is that, um, that I'm trying to make is, so you made a perfect point. I put in a tank of gas when I bought my car. I, I filled it up the day I bought it, right? Mm -hmm. And I've taken one tick. One tick. That's mm -hmm. doing all the stuff I do. That's going to work for him that's getting um groceries that's one tick <laughs> not even a quarter of a tank we're talking an eighth of a tank tick so um uh and for those who don't know i got a diesel so it's yeah, good it's miles frugal still. right so I, <laughs> at this rate i will not use a tank of gas for a couple months so but but if you put that into perspective right that's $20 a week, give or take, right? That you're not using or or whatever it is that you put in your tank. Um, there's also the fact that people are not taking um, vacation with their families. You're not going on cruises, right? You're not going. All the crap you spend money on adds up. Yeah. And so if you, if you take all that stuff, right, and you add it up and you're not saving money, you're 
you're doing something wrong. But anyway, um, it, you do all this stuff and you put it all together, right? Um, I, <laughs> it means that you could buy some big stuff. Now, if you take the guitar companies that they're talking about uh, that, that don't have the stuff, if you look at them, though, and this is this is not just me. Philip Knight said the same thing. A couple other, a couple other um, uh, folks said the same thing. It's not the big ticket items. It's not that Gibson Les Paul. That's right. It's not the. It is. It is the pedals, the ash, uh, the squires, the you know the the import brands, the boredom are, killers. That's right. And if you look at it, um, you know anything a thousand dollars or under, that's the stuff that's going that's flying off shelves. Yeah, I I I took a perusal at Sweetwater this morning, um, which ends up being a way that I kill time, and I was just kind of digging around. Virtually everything is out of stock. Um, I mean, you'd you'd have a better chance of saying it's out of stock than saying it's in stock, at least as guitar as far as guitars go. Um, for things that like the common items, right? Um, and I really think that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um. But I, some people have said, well, they're having a banner year. And I, I kind of question some of this because I'm like, yeah, they're having a banner year and that's good for the industry. Like, oh, guitar's not dead. We're selling, you know, more than we ever have right now. That doesn't mean anything because when COVID-19 ends, the sales end. Okay. And what's going to happen is this is all going to dry up and we're going to go back to business as usual. And I hope it, I hope, I actually hope it doesn't. But I don't think that's the case. I think I think, I think we're gonna I think we're gonna see a big dip, bigger than than um, to normal. We're I would not be investing in the gear market right now. Meaning, go, don't go buy FMIC on the stock exchange because that's what they're wanting these articles to reference. Like, oh yeah, we're making money. Like we're doing the best we've ever done. Uh, yeah, you are, but it's a temporary thing, and it's not gonna last forever. And quite frankly, a lot of the crap that you should have, you should have oodles of inventory to sell because you change it every year guess what you're out you can't even make money on that stuff um, and if you really think about it let, let's 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 go a step further a lot of the stuff that people got excited about for nam that that was nam this year i don't hear a lot of buzz about that stuff well and and that's because it was winter nam uh, yeah, summer name and didn't happen. No <laughs> really, we had no real. Um, we've had no there's, real gear news. There's no market for gear right now that is like big moving and shaking kind of stuff. Um, I, I and I think maybe that's because we're clued into the more professional side of the gear thing and not so much into like pedals and stuff like that. I say professional because let's face it, um, when you're when you're into this stuff, like you're paying attention to PAs and crap like that and not so much like, you know, what string brand just re- released their new line and those kinds of things. Right. Um, I, 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 I would venture a guess there probably is new product coming out, but it's not making a splash. No one cares. It's not. Yeah. And that's because nobody's gigging right now. Um, well, yeah. And then we, and then we take the other side of that. Um, and that is that the, Usually NAM means what? Not available maybe May, right? Yeah. Is that um so maybe May got pushed. We don't have another M month to use. 
I'm really maybe May of next year because they're not getting the parts. Think about those those I'm Ernie Ball. Say, uh, yeah, yeah, those Ernie Ball um, uh, volume pedals with the tuner built in. We had people that were like, "I need one of those. I need one of those." Now, forget it's it. Like, yeah, you're gonna be able to get one when the few come in. Um, is Ernie Ball gonna be able to keep those rolling? Because that's a buzz thing. That's a so there's yeah. that's a good example. Um, it might even be the perfect example for this is something that's purely a Chinese based product. Yep. There's a lot of stuff that has Chinese dependency that's probably in the pipeline. Um, just because the guitar says made in Indonesia doesn't mean that's where the parts are coming from. And Indo right. Indonesia is not doing so hot with coronavirus either. Um, and they're, you know, They've taken precautions. Uh, my understanding is they're a more authoritarian government. They're not authoritarian, but they're more authoritarian. I don't know. I don't know specifics about their political structure. I'm not going to. But because of that, they've locked down the country a lot more. It's a lot harder to get uh, product out of Indonesia as well right now. Right. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if Cortec, for example, has a number of guitars that will be showing up as Ibanez, LTD, all these different companies that do some production there. I don't think LTD does production there, but um, maybe they do. Uh, but that won't show up until after the coronavirus thing settles. So I think 2021 is going to be a huge year for new products. But I think it's going to it's going to be dangerous to the industry to launch new products in 2021 because these companies are going to be willing to just open the floodgates because they've got all this influx of cash on new ideas and trying new things and the business is just going to tank because as soon as people start commuting and their money dries up like where are they what what are they going to do then um and we've been talking about the new normal you know as part of my work situation we've been doing training and stuff for like what does the world look like after covid19 rips through and changes everything and honestly i don't think it's going to be as different as people are thinking it is like everybody, everybody around here at least acts like, well, we're just going to keep working from home off and on. And, you know, the employers are going to be OK with it. And I think that's a bunch of baloney. I think what's going to happen is you're going to have a lot of the companies that say, you know what, batting down the hatch, we're going back to regular work. And it's not it hasn't happened yet because obviously there's no vaccine. There's no, you know, um, there's no real reason to return to work at this point. And I although people know they know they can work remote. The companies have to see value in it. And right now they're not seeing value in it because they're having a rough year anyway. There'll be no proof that because they let employees have this responsibility that anything actually came out of it. And that's going to be the bottom line for a lot of big companies that, hey, we let people work from home and we didn't see a productivity increase or decrease. And actually the business you know, didn't do well last year because – and and you would think that these people would be smart enough to say, well, the business didn't do well because nobody's buying anything. Um, right. But, but the reality is we know how business is and they really don't want people working from home. And so they'll use that as an excuse. We haven't really seen the, the I don't think we've seen, of course, this is a, um, I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole. Oh, right, 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 right. I don't think we've seen the full effect of what this has done to small businesses. Nope. We sure as hell haven't. A lot haven't. of people are talking. Yeah. There are certain things that are that are going to come back. They have to. The haircut thing, that's going to come back. The, the 
everybody wants to treat themselves to a haircut and a, and a nail thing. And everybody yeah, got, speak for everybody. yourself. Yeah. Ponytail exactly. or bust. <laughs> but uh, I, I need a haircut, something fierce. Um, and I'm not a Floby guy. Uh, this stuff, this stuff, this beauty doesn't take care of itself. Oh um, yeah, bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it, yeah, I mean this. Yeah, I have a mop, right? I actually have um, you beat right now, but I'm not gonna. We're not gonna do that. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. that, that uh, is, measuring contest there. Your ha- yours has body, mine doesn't. So mine is as long as it shows. Yeah, where yours is, yeah. Um, so I, what I was getting, what I'm getting at here is that, that what we haven't seen is the blowback from, okay. So somebody like you and me and everybody else that doesn't have to go back to the office, think about the savings. If a company can say, you know what, right. For small let's businesses, not, it may still, that. for small businesses who want to attack top talent, it makes a lot of sense to do it. Yep. And that's Bam. probably still going to be the case. And then. And then here's the thing that, that that they don't do. So they're not renting office space in Manhattan. In well, DC, but small in, businesses aren't renting office space in Manhattan and D.C. either. A lot of them. Uh, you'd be surprised at the number of, of businesses that I, have. I think our definition of small may be different. And well, I think that may be the problem there. <laughs> yeah. That, but what I'm getting at. Yeah. And and we're probably talking about too. When I, you're talking about small business, you're talking about money. And when I talk about small business, I'm talking about ones that, hey, no, I I'm need talk a floor. About, I'm talking about employees. The, less, yeah, I'm less talking than, about Less than 25 more. people. Yeah. Yeah, I'm talking about 100. But they, they like, I need, a, I need a fifth floor on, you know, whatever avenue, New York City, um, downtown, right. or Manhattan, or whatever. And even if you're looking at a, at a business, that a lot of the businesses in New York City, you'd be surprised, a lot of the, the number of the buildings that are that are dependent on renting to a lot of businesses. Um, yeah, we're in one of those buildings so, right now here. Are you? Yeah. Yeah. So, and uh, so if, if you look at that, you've got the the people that are leaving and look at the fires that are going on right in, in uh, West Coast. Got, you know, got help people that are out there. Um, I pray for them every day. Um, that kind of thing that that's going on right now, we've got to shift. We're going to we're going to see huge shifts. Um, and I don't think we've seen the one biggest thing. And I don't want to get into politics. I, I definitely don't want to do that. Um, and but on November, whatever, the day after Election Day, the fifth or sixth or whatever it is this year, um, that I don't care what side you're for. I don't care what side wins. Forty something percent or 50 something percent of the people are going to go bananas. Some are going to go to bananas in a good way, and the other part are going to go to bananas in a bad way. So, regardless of who wins and regardless of how this goes, there's a lot of stuff to shake out here, and uh, we don't know what our futures hold. Well, I in that's what I think is weird about the gear industry right now is like they want to these companies are like wanting to ride these trends like like Fender coming out and saying, hey, buy our stock because that's really what that is. When you hear Fender say something like that, they don't talk about their sales unless they're trying to trump up the fact that you should buy their stock. Uh, if that's you right. were to buy stock in FMIC, which I think is publicly traded, if you were to buy stock in FMIC right now, I think you're setting yourself up for a very rude 2021 when push comes to shove uh and i think there's just too much turmoil right now to be like yeah i really want to buy in it unless you really feel confident uh 
this is a good move. Right now, I don't think their stock's even worth anything. I mean, I this is this year's too wild to invest in something like that. Um, and so I just said this is like a really funny joke. But the other component here is that they're also trying to generate this like guitars are cool again kind of attitude, which they've been doing for years. Um, and I, I love the fact that they have they have made promises and failed to keep them like this, uh, this NAM, we're going to have more female signature guitars announced than any other company. And you know how many there were? None. If you're if you answer none, I don't <laughs> I don't recall any of them. So it's like they're probably out there somewhere. I don't know, but they didn't make a deal, a big deal out of it. Why? Because that, that was more important for them to identify with the female market because they have to sell guitars. And so they're doing a good sales thing. They're saying, hey, it's popular amongst women and so popular that we're going to give a bunch of female signature guitars to artists. And then it doesn't materialize. No one says a word, um, which is kind of appalling to me that nobody said a word. Um, and here we are with a company doing this now. Um, other companies are having the same kind of shenanigans go on. And it doesn't mean that their parts are, are, are way late either. So Kiesel, right? Their parts, like, I think their pots come from Germany. They're, um, which may be, uh, may be an issue. Their, their pickups come from the States. Uh, they make them in-house. Uh, maybe the base plate or something comes from overseas, but I, I wouldn't be surprised they're not doing their own bending. And creating their own base plates in house, um, they're winding the pickups in house. The uh, tuners are basically like hip shot stuff, you know. Um, I think they still do some original Floyd stuff too. And um, so your basic components of your guitar are basically made in the states, right? Because of this boom, you cannot order a Kiesel today and expect to get it any less than sixteen weeks four months their typical lead time is eight to 12 weeks 16 weeks minimum and they're saying as much as six months um depending on your build so if you put that into perspective like this is taxed the entire industry from uh the used market which has made people think that their stuff is worth way more than it is which reminds me, I've got some stuff I need to sell right now. And so apparently yeah, I'm just going to get like to sell. an insane amount of money for it. Um, used gear is going really expensive, which is kind of mind boggling to me. Um, alongside, you know, new gear, which is equally expensive, um, you know, as usual, business as usual, right? Yep. Um, and I'm just kind of sitting here watching this whole thing and going, this is chaos right now would not yeah. be the time to buy anything. Now, if you're going to be yeah. sitting and you're going to be like, if you've got your eye on something used, wait till 2021 because there will be fallout from this economically for two or three years. And I know this is a terrible way to look at the situation, but people are going to start losing jobs next year too, as a result of what happened in this year. And when that happens, that's when you want to jump on the bandwagon because you will see a deluge of 20, 20 guitars and basses and all other sorts of musical equipment dumped onto the used market that you can just pick up for peanuts. Um, well, you know, this goes this goes to something we talked about earlier, which is where um, a lot of people were talking about, oh, 
so and so resellers are offering me very little money for my gear. Let me tell you something. It, the used market has been incredibly powerful right now, uh, whether through Facebook Marketplace, eBay, or Reverb. So there's been no need for people to to say, "Hey, I you know," unless you've got to sell something today because you got to pay a bill today. And yeah. if you're in that position, that's a sucky position to be in. But you're not in the you're not in the um, uh, the card holding spot. You've got a two, a seven, a nine, a four in your hands. That's what you've got, and they've got a jack, a queen, a king, and an ace. <laughs> and it's just it sucks. And they're all in spades, and you have you have uh, mixed uh, a mixed uh, hand. Suit. Yeah. So, so the fact is that that it it's tough poopies for you in that respect but the but um right now if you've got gear to sell now is the time to put up for sale and it doesn't matter how we're weird i was looking i was like oh well the you know the used market won't be too bad i wanted to get a kazuki masuku or whatever that is that wacky pedal is i mean mm-hmm. what, oh that they yeah. want more money than they've ever wanted <laughs> well <laughs> those are discontinued too so yeah and so it's like over three hundred dollars the miko the miko yeah, Cord Miko. Miko. Yeah. Um I've been looking for a Behringer DeepMind synthesizer. Um, and I'm kind of like, I can get one. I mean, they're not even that expensive right now. Uh, and and that's one of the few things. Like, if you're looking for off-the-wall stuff on reverb, you're gonna get good prices. For whatever reason, guitars are always the one that like gets crazy out of control and i think it's just because of popularity far more guitar players than our drummers bassists, and uh key players by by far uh more guitar players and four hundred dollars for a chord miku right now yeah not a your money um not mine 470 on ebay 600 661 do you know what's amazing to me that the Korg Miku goes for like it's going for like four hundred to six hundred dollars right now. Nobody actually is going to use that pedal for anything. Like that's oh, not a pedal that people are actually going to make stuff with. You um, can't make it do the same thing twice. Yeah, it's like it's a so random funny. noise generator. Like it's like what? what <laughs> why is it demanding? Why is it commanding so much money? That's that's the thing. People have money. They're so used to spending. They're like, wow, I've got three months of gas money. I'm going to go buy a Korg Miku. Or I've got, you know, uh, my month's worth of gas money. I'm going to buy a freaking Fender uh, Squire. Uh, Classic buy. Or, or, yeah, uh, or one of those yep. time machine or whatever the, the alternate yeah. universe version that Squire's doing. And I buy one every month. I mean, literally. I know there are people yourself. that are doing that kind of stuff because they're they're saving like three or four hundred bucks a month. Yeah, I could do it. Ah. And and what's funny is if you look at the last real, other than this guy, which cost me very little, right? I I haven't really bought anything no. since this stuff went down. I I have not bought anything since Gearfest. That's like of significant value. And even the stuff I bought at GearFest, like was like peanuts compared to what I'm normally spending. I have spent this much. As a matter of fact, I do spend more than what I spent on this when I take my two sons to the state, uh, to Texas Roadhouse. Okay. So 
That that just to tell you, that's how little I spent on this. Um, and to to um, uh, uh, is it bad? Or, or I'm admitting it's I not interrupt a bad you. Thing. No, is it bad that I'm like looking around my room going? I know I bought something expensive and somebody's going to call me out and call me a hypocrite. <laughs> that oh, I'm forgetting I, no, about, bought, you know. I bought the Flying V, but that was a that was a you know, one of those You would have uh, bought that list. anyway. Yeah, that was a bucket list uh thing that was sitting around that I was like, <laughs> "All right, I'm going to get if the that audience, car back like if, if the audience didn't know this, I'm going to reveal this to everyone. Jim's been talking about buying one of those as long as this show has been going on. <laughs> I've been buy, I've been talking about getting that guitar back since i was 22 so it's been 30 something years in the making um and, and the fact is that that but if you look at it other than that that guitar oh i bought i, I don't know if you could really count that freaking where is it it's over there stuck underneath the stuff the the spark yeah, the spark was one of those things again. That was that was, that like, that was a show purchase i know what that, that was, was that was i want to look that at was gas it. station sushi that's yeah. what that was. Gas station sushi. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I, I don't think I did buy anything else. Me and my wife are talking about it. I'm like, I spent I've spent under under two grand this year on, on just yeah. like frivolous crap because we've just been putting it all away. Now, granted, we've had some other things go on this year and that's that's kept us on track. But I mean, I bought the cabinet, I bought the two pedals at Gearfest, and I bought the King of Tone this year. And I think I got the King of Tone before the shutdown happened. Um, so I mean, it's like, no, I bought it during the shutdown, but it was like right after, but I, I just haven't, I, and I have no desire to buy anything. I mean, that's like, I've been no. looking at guitars, but I'm like, I'm not really don't want to buy a guitar unless I get to play it first. I mean, I, cause I, cause the kind of money I'm going to drop on one, I want to be damn sure what I'm buying. And I, I sort of, um, had an epiphany today and I was like, well, I was like, I really don't want to spend a bunch of money on another seven string. So if I was gonna do it, I'd probably just buy an RG7 from Ibanez as a backup. I can I can make that work. I'll get a decent one. I'll spend you know whatever I can get for like seventeen hundred bucks or whatever. Not seventeen hundred. Yep. Like a thousand bucks. Like right around a thousand dollars. And that'll be a yep. good that'll be a good workhorse. They won't care if I beat the hell out of it. I I, I kind of want to find one that's not basswood if I can, um, which that's gonna probably be trouble. But. Um, it just makes it's the most economical path for me to move forward. Then I need to get an acoustic and whatever else is probably going to go towards an amplifier or something or a P actually I probably need to buy a PA before I need to buy an amplifier. So um, that would be the next, the next step. I honestly, I've been looking at a few PRS SEs, so I've just been keeping my eye open. Even, you know, like that's another, another line that for me, PRS SE doesn't make sense to me. Uh, even an S2, yeah, which an S2 is like a quality guitar, and I'd love to, you know, I'd love to have a PRS in the belt. I feel like a PRS S2 is like a compromise. It's like, well, you really want a core model, or you really want a CE, but you don't want to pony up. <laughs> like, um, and and I like I like the CE quite a bit. I think the CE is is attractively priced for what it is. Um, I think the cores are fairly expensive. Um, when you consider that a Gibson Les Paul standard is what twenty twenty three hundred dollars twenty four hundred dollars now, um, a PRS, uh, and and I'm probably gonna get crucified by my local PRS dealer who's a listener of the show, um, 
when it when you consider that a Gibson is that cheap, that a PRS core model is over three grand. Uh, it's like thirty three hundred dollars, and I know they're not the same guitar. Um, and I know they're not built to the same quality spec. I know that obviously the woods are probably better in the PRS. Um, but it's like, how much does that all matter? Um, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of the current Gibson stuff and the ones I have had a chance to play, which against 2020, right? I haven't played much. I was like, okay, you know, I, I, I still think if I was going to do Gibson, I'd be looking mid nineties, somewhere in mid nineties era. But, um, yeah, I PRS is expensive. So if I was going to do it, I would I would I would stay in a, you know, core style like CE core kind of thing. Um that John Mayer guitar, you know, there's there's the Silver Sky. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Uh, I don't want another. Yeah. I don't need another Strat. Well, I've been I looking at the uh I've been looking at the PRS um se uh the the 35th anniversary um model was really where i was um i was looking um and when you think about it i mean that's a thousand dollar guitar i mean it's not it's not cheap yeah the the 25th anniversary models were cool too um because they're basically like they're like a basically a core model prs um yeah. but done in the korean workshop I mean, they're, they're yeah. very, very cool guitars. Uh, they are limited top, but again, you get an actual maple cap on those with a laminate over the top of it to make it look pretty. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, look at, look at yeah. Ibanez, right? They want to charge a thousand bucks for a guitar that has like a super thin veneer on top and is made out of like basswood. Um, your mileage may vary, but I'm not super excited about that. I, I, you know, the big thing right now, can we talk about walnut tops, tops before we end the show? Not walnut, sure, yeah. wal, not walnut. Um, what is the, the burl, maple burl, oh, burl. whatever these burl tops. That's like the thing du jour right now. I think they are fugly. I have seen some that are okay, but most of them, like, I wouldn't want to tell the parent that they had a kid. Like it, they're just not good looking. I mean, okay, so I get the burl concept in like a table or furniture, um, but to put it into a guitar and then have to use like resin or something to fill it in, and then you got like the stain that goes over the top of it. It looks like your guitar has a fungus growing out of it, which is what burl is, by the way. It's a fungus. Um, it's what causes that that you know erosion of the tree um but i see these guitars and like every ibanez is like super guilty of it right we're gonna do burl tops listen you know what i want ibanez to do i want to i want them to do a retro line i want them to do a line of rgs and s series guitars that are like flat colors um you know uh floyd roses the ed edge tremolos right and then do the um uh the wizard three neck or or even god willing a wizard four neck which is actually slightly more c-shaped maybe a bit fatter i will say the wizard three i can play the wizard two and the wizard one i cannot play a wizard one wizard two i get i get fatigued on the wizard three i think they finally kind of figured out that you have to have a little thickness 
um, and the nut width can't be like paper flat. Okay, right. Um, which is they don't feel like a D shape on the newer ones as much. Um, if they could do a Wizard Three in like desert yellow, you know, with seven strings and six strings variants, and maybe even an eight string for the for the genters. Um, in the yeah. kind of like iconic, these are what made Ibanez popular in the '90s colors. I think they're they'd sell like hotcakes. I really do. Um, I that RG five fifty reissue they did the the Genesis series or whatever, those sold really well from what I've been told. Um, and I've seen several bands playing those guitars and or having them in their toolkit, maybe on the stand in the back as their spare. Um, on you know YouTube, obviously because it's 2020, right? Um, I I would buy an RG7 in the pink, you know, in the the neon pink, or or the slime green, whatever the color that was that they did back then, um, or desert yellow, and and I think there's a market for it. You, we're getting to the point where that 90s nostalgia is going to be hot seller. Uh, as I said, Kramer's a little late to the party because Kramer should have been should have been uh, tinkering around about 2015. Um, uh, the Charvel like craze is still ongoing, right? But um, now they're even going modern, right? You got Pro Mods, which is like super popular, and that's basically their version of the AZ. Um, and Ivan has got the AZ already, so. Let's do let's do some '90s throwback guitars. Um, we didn't talk about Stephen Conradie's guitar. The I know I got from Burles to the this. Ibanez? The, I know I got from Burles to this, but I wanted to, I wanted to shed some light because I know he listens to the show. Uh, I don't think I told him this is a group and like didn't really explain much, but I figured it might be worthwhile to comment. So he bought he bought an AX right, and when he told me this, I was like. AX, I mean, they were okay. Um, the ones I played were like beginner instruments, right? One of them had the drop D thing that was behind the bridge, and it was like that was kind of cool. And I, I actually I played a couple of them when I was younger, and it was mostly because those were popular when I was um, learning to play guitar. But anyway, um, he sends me the serial number and he tells me it's a made in USA guitar, and I'm like, they never made AXs in the US. So then I start looking around and digging, and I find out. They did, but it came out of the L.A. Custom Shop, and his serial number matches the L.A. Custom Shop. So we were so that weird. I was going back and forth with somebody who knows a little bit more about Ibanez's, and what we think is that may be a John Five signature that came out of the L.A. Custom Shop because he was playing AXs with Marilyn Manson. Okay, Um, and. That didn't last super long because then he quickly got his Fender deal and all that stuff. Um, but he had a bunch of them made by Ibanez. And, of course, this would have all come out of the LA Custom Shop. And apparently nobody knows where any of them are. Um, and he's never really been a big Ibanez guy. So I wouldn't be surprised if those didn't all end up on the market somewhere. Uh, if he didn't he didn't gut his inventory. Maybe he kept a couple, you know, his favorites. And then dump the rest right. of them, um, and that he could have John Five's, you know, AX, one of them. Anyway. I know, isn't that weird? It's pretty crazy, 
But that's the kind of weird stuff you come across every once in a while. It's like this weird one-off guitar that nobody even knew existed. And yep. and uh, it becomes a cool find. And I don't think he paid very much for it either. No, he, yeah, he did a small trade, something like that, for it. Um, yeah, so it's cool. Anyway. I thought that was kind of cool. We're, we're at an hour and a uh, half-ish. So I have been David. All right. I've been Jim. And tonight we have been practical guitarists with lots and lots of economic financial advice. Yes, which is none. Yeah, don't. By the way, Fender Fender is privately owned. Oh, I thought they were publicly traded. Nope, they're privately owned, but they're owned by a group of investors. So that is kind of, it's. All right, well then ignore me. A bunch of rich VC guys. They are still trying to convince, keep your money in Fender because it's worth it. Because they're investment companies. That so makes they it even throw worse. Their money around. Yeah. I thought FMIC was owned as a stock as stock for the employees and then they eventually went public. Yeah, no, they didn't do that. Okay. No. Well, I have been I have been more of an idiot than I anticipated. Uh and we are practical guitarists that did not give good financial advice, apparently. Uh thanks <laughs> thanks, Jim, for yeah, bursting our bubble and making think- me look stupid. But I'm okay with this. I I'm fine admitting that I didn't know what I was talking about. Um it's a blunder for the episode. Believe me, I'm sure that there's a lot of investment money that goes in and out of those companies. Oh, sure. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good night.